Bienvenidos a Radio Menea, y'all. This is Vero Ayati Flores. And I'm Miriam Suela Perez, and we are two Latinx friends with wildly different music tastes. Each week we bring you music from the Latinx artists that we love, and this week we're so excited to have a guest. We have Christy Larrat with us. Welcome. Yay! Yeah, excited to be with you all. Yeah, so happy to have you here. It's been a long time coming. We should have done this years ago, but um, I've known Christy a long time. She's been a really incredible fixture in the DMV music scene. She's an incredible DJ. Um, her people come from Lima, Peru, but she was raised in this in the DMV area. Um, we're going to get into like a lot of the awesome stuff that she's done, but we're really excited to have you here and decided you wanted to talk a little bit about like the the music scene in uh, in D.C. So we're going to get to a taste of that from your eyes. Yeah, thanks. Let's take a listen back to the first track that uh, Christy picked for us. This is one that we've actually had on the show before. It's a fave. This is Fuego. It's called Semenota. <laughs> I love this track, but tell us about what you picked it for this episode. So I feel like I did not, I was playing Fuego's music before realizing that Fuego had like a home space in DC. I had and, no idea. Yeah, and then when I tell other people, they're also surprised. So I feel like I, I brought that in here. It's kind of like a sometimes unsung hometown hero, um, mm. an artist who, um, has some like merengue and mambo-y uh, hits and then also moves into these beautiful trap and in this case like a trap bachata composition um, which also he worked with Shango I think on this uh, who is based in the Midwest and also an amazing producer who crosses a lot of genres. Mm -hmm. uh, I really like the collaboration and trap bachata is like a really soft song. <sighs> My heart. Um, yeah, this was the first trap chata I ever heard, like way before Bad Bunny and El Alfa got together <laughs> um on their classic now classic track. I feel like this like sort of paved the trap chata way. <laughs> yeah. So good. I have been kind of obsessed with some like bootleg trap chata trap bachata songs like remixes i'd heard um there's a producer called munchi who mm. um, is based in europe but is also dominican and had made some awesome productions and had come to perform them and in dc for the mumatone massive parties so i'll talk about it a little bit mm. more 
but um it was stuff like you could only hear it live or I'd like hear it on a on a radio yeah show. yeah yeah I'd try and rip it and it would be like disgusting when I played it in the club or <laughs> quality with like stuff coming in um so it was beautiful to hear this really nice production and then hear it kind mm-hmm. of locally and internationally as well um and so my dream my, one of my dreams is even though Fuego is really huge now is to mm-hmm. Fuego for like a, a quick cameo in DC at some point. oh my god yeah so what do you know about about Fuego's connection to DC well um I know that my friend's partner's cousin knows Fuego so <laughs> I love that. That's a Latina thing to say. (laughs) Um, But I guess he spent time growing up in the Dominican Republic, but also in Langley Park, it sounds like. Oh. Like DC metro area. I love that. Um, And in Washington, DC proper. Um, And then, like, did a lot of early performances in DC too, which DC has beautiful, like, vibrant undergrounds and subcultures that a lot of times don't touch each other and you get to know them after you lived here for a while and migrate through. Um, So sad that I missed that era. It just rolled up and saved Amazing. And you Um, know, nobody thinks about Dominicans in DC, right? It's like, it's all about New York City and the Bronx with Dominicans. It's like we... That was another presentation I wanted to bring because DC goes so hard on Dominican community and history. So it's funny that that's not part of, like, I feel like it's part of what I think of, but it's part of what you think of. Well, maybe it's also my own. Yeah. My own missing kind of like understanding of DC, but yeah, I have not known a lot about the Dominican community in DC. What can you tell us about it? Well, I can tell like like personal stories of um, Columbia Heights, being a center of Dominican community and like mm. um, memories of going to dance bachata um, at, a, at a place where you would get like soup at like wow. two in the morning. So, like, oh, delicious. <laughs> like, that sounds great. Like a little sancocho after the club or at the club? <laughs> at the club so you can keep going hard. Oh my God. I feel like that is like a combination that is not often made. Like you, like, you feel like you need like a good hearty meal. Yes, at exactly. the club. At the club. Or People right are trying to stay or... drunk, so they're trying to not eat. But I am trying to eat. <laughs> <laughs> I like if you stay too drunk, then like maybe you're dancing. <gasps> yes, you're gonna get in trouble. Yeah, I think it's an intervention. <laughs> Nightlife, folks. Exactly. Think about it. <laughs> um, so I feel like generally, for me, um, well, first of all, when we I took it took me a while to realize what DMV was and DMV means it's like DC, Maryland, Virginia area. Mm -hmm. So it's like the larger um, DC metro area. And I, because I only began to engage with DC through like policy work, I always think about DC as like a place where like, you know, policy people are and my political work happens and it has this really, really rich, vibrant cultural history as well that um, is happening all of the time if, you know, like, and it completely separate from like the city's like political life. 
um, and, you know, sort of like political backdrop. And because so much of that part of the city is shifting, depending on like administrations or, you know, who's in power, there is like a much like like a different, more stable like scene. And obviously, D.C. used to be like a very black city gentrification and all of that has made it less so. And, um, you know, what we are interested in talking about here today is also like about like the, you know, like Latine culture nightlife. There's I know like every time I go to DC, I try to eat Salvadoran food because there's a lot of there's a big Salvadoran community. But there's there are all these other cultural spaces that exist beyond like what we think of DC as like this like federal policy space or at least like for a long time I thought of it that way because that's how I began to engage with that city is through my work in politics yeah and I would say like to add on to what you're saying it's so true that there's also like a federal politics space Mm -hmm. in Washington right and then there's like a local politics yeah like cultural social space and that's DC Right. And that's mm-hmm. something that like, is a local refrain. Like there's Washington and then there's DC. Mm-hmm. And the ideas about Washington are just like wild to a lot of locals here. Like the idea that it's all like white collar jobs or like federal politics. Yeah. That it's very transient. Like that's not true. But yeah. Like, like, oh, people come to DC for two years and leave. Like absolutely not true right right but it is if you're only like maybe in a space where like literally the political terms are two years or five yeah. years, um, which is like the Washington side right mm-hmm. um and I think that's what I was thinking about when making this playlist too is like Latinx identity and community formation a friend of mine Jose Centeno Melendez um, is doing this work around looking at how Latina community has been formed in DC historically, like way back, like in the 20s and the 30s. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of it has been across national like groups of national origin and like Dominican folks holding like house parties with people who are just Dominican, but like from Puerto Rico, Guatemala, mm-hmm. Ecuador, Peru, and like having people kind of come together in a way that maybe in a bigger city. I think like mm-hmm. the fact that DC is like half a million people really surprises people too, because you yeah. have like international center of power, but it's like a baby city. It's really small. Yeah. Drive across it in 30 minutes, but that's also mattered for how like Latinx folks come together in the city is that oftentimes it's like, you don't have enough people for like you to just have your whole life in your mm. culture. Yeah, to say all other cities are like that, but it's a little bit different. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. I mean, in New York, like you can like exist your whole life and just like interact with like Puerto Ricans because if you live in like this one block, you know, there's enough people, or like there's just like large enough communities. You're just like okay, like all my friends are Dominican or whatever, and and you know that could be any nationality. You know what I mean? Um, or immigrant group because there's just like such large numbers like it's a city of like eight million people plus like you know like twice that if you're thinking about metro area uh so i think that necessity and smaller communities like sometimes bring in like a little bit more of that sort of um cross community thing that can be so beautiful absolutely it's really interesting to hear interviews with especially dominican folks but also like other Afro-Latinx folks from right. like generations of like what creating community and finding space has been like. 
as Black Latinx folks in the city. And um, yeah, sometimes I wonder also about that like mega narrative Mm -hmm. uh, erasure of like, how come everyone doesn't know that like there's tons of Dominican folks? Right. Black Latinos. No, you're right. And now I'm like, right, there's much like bachata folks come all the time to perform here. And I'm like, I mean, everyone loves bachata, but you have to have like a good Dominican community to like support those shows, you know? So I'm like, Mm -hmm. I think it's my own. Yeah, my own misconception too. So, well, those are those are everywhere. I definitely yeah. hear, I hear it everywhere from folks. I mean, I've worked as a as a history teacher too. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Those ideas, even if mm-hmm. we don't see each other around. Yeah. So yeah, shout out to Fuego. One day, me and what you guys <laughs> <laughs> soon, Fuego soon. Like, come do a cameo with me. <laughs> I I will be there. I'll be on the front row. That's amazing. <laughs> We're like 20 years out from when he had his like breakout with mega reggaeton stars, which like happened. <laughs> but still hope for me. Hope for well, me. thank you for yeah, teaching yeah. everyone about the DC connection. I love that. I love knowing. We'll manifest it for you. <laughs> Should we go to the next track? Let's do it. Do it. So this next next track is actually by a DJ who was on this show many years ago. We'll put a link in the show notes to the episode. Um, DJ Wannabe, also known as Alex DB, or used to be known as Alex DB, actually. I don't know if they still use that n- name. But um, but yeah, so let's take a listen to Tamagotchi by Wannabe. So this is a fun clubby little track. <laughs> Christy's dancing. You can't see. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, I love this. And um, I feel like I have many like instrumental songs like this in my life, but I'm pretty grateful for it. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the more like neo perreo type vibes that I have have a lot of vocals. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is actually, I love this track and just this past Pride season in mm-hmm. June, um, we got to see Wannabe perform for the very first time. I think it was their worldwide debut, at least their US debut, yeah. <laughs> of an album that they have coming on, like live. Yeah. Um, I think they wanted to see, say they were like the queer, non-berry 
Tony Dice. <laughs> no way. Wow. But, and they were they were their vocals in that performance, right? On that album, they were actually like I don't know if you would say rapping or what you would call it, but their vocals. Yeah, they were they were perriando on the mic. <laughs> yeah, they were. I saw a little video clip. I was not there, unfortunately, for that premiere, but I saw a clip on Instagram, and I was like, oh my god, all right, okay, okay. That was awesome. Um, so their EP is going to be called Sorry Hi, Volume 1. And it's going to come out this year. Alex is based in Colombia right now, in Bogota, but grew mm -hmm. up in Maryland in the DMV area. Mm -hmm. And it's part of, you know, I share a party slash, I guess now turned like crew in a way, um, called mm -hmm. Booty Rex with Alex. It's six of us that have been throwing a pride party called Booty Rex each year. Best pride party every year. <laughs> <laughs> um thank you you're welcome <laughs> um and so we like we both dj together too in that space and so it's been really cool to see them like they're coming back each year and they have new news of like spaces they're organizing in bogota um production projects that they're working on. I got to hear their song. They actually like played one of their tracks at Booty Rex, both last time and this time at Booty Rex. Um, so we got to hear like, wow, fun. DJ productions, but then actually seeing it live with this next level and super mm -hmm. sweet and exciting. Um, yeah, local queer non-binary nail perreo talent. Mm -hmm. um, also, whenever we play Booty Rex, we're always like have to conference on WhatsApp, like, the days before we're like are you playing this are you playing this are you playing this <laughs> overlap so much mm -hmm. um, but i think also you know i met alex when my one of my two dj collectives anthology of booty used to do a party called um backdoor at the 9 30 mm -hmm. club like this huge club live music venue here called 9 30 club they have kind of not a secret but it's like kind of feels like this clandestine basement bar called the back bar 75 person capacity they don't really advertise as word of mouth. And that was like our first DJ night as a, as a DJ collective. And Alex came up to me and like, we geeked out about music. I think there was some crushing. Well, I'll say on my part. Mm -hmm. <laughs> crush. Mm -hmm. And one of the parties they came back and gave me like a set of three MP3 CDs of Champeta hits. Cause I had wow. been playing. And they were like, I never hear Champeta in DC. And so I never gave it back. It was like this ongoing thing. And then after like, <laughs> years, like I, think, I think we all know that the, those CDs belong to you now. <laughs> um, but what they represent to me, they were already like DJing house music and other types of music before that collective started. Um, and I think they, for me, also represent a kind of DJ that like plays electronic music and now makes electronic music, but is really informed also by like punk and DIY backgrounds. And I think that's like a big DC thing of like a lot of club music kids I know are very informed by that type of background. Um, I haven't talked to Alex about this, but one of the cool things about DC is that like growing up, if you wanted to go see live music, like a punk show, and you were 15 years old, you could go to a lot of venues because it's an all ages city. And so if a venue has committed to have security for all ages, they mark your hand with an X so you can't drink and they let you in. Whereas like a lot of other cities nationally, you have to be 21. And so it's like a seven year age gap potentially and like getting to be part of music scenes, which is part of what I think of like go-go music and punk music. I feel like those are homegrown out of like really young people getting to be involved right. early, so. And you, um, your family, you've been in this area since you were young? 
So I grew up in Virginia. And okay. uh, for me, DC was like always this space nearby that like in high school, I would sneak out to mostly to right. go to shows and concerts or to um, yeah, like sneak into some of the raves they would have or to go to like protests or like activist events. And so it was a very like, I got to know space in DC through like school trips to the museums as a kid, kid, but then and like cultural festivals of Peruvian music. So kind of the more official representations of culture. Mm -hmm. And then like as a teenager, I got to come in for a lot more of like the undergrounds. And then moving in as like an adult, it's super different to live in DC than to live in Virginia and visit. So I feel like lucky to have gotten to know it that way as well, living here. Well, let's take a listen to your next song. And then I want to hear a little bit about like your, how you became a DJ, how you got into that scene. So this song is by Knives Escobar and it's called Echizo. Let's take a listen. Tell us about this track, Christine. So this is an artist who I have always wanted to see live and never have. So maybe this is partially like a list of people who I'll bring together for like yes. a drink. <laughs> um, but who's like an independent musician in the area um, and maybe more on like an indie tip, um, but who kind of represents something outside of what we might think of Maybe not on this song exactly, but a little bit. And then on some of uh, Knives' old other productions, definitely, like of like quote unquote Latinx music, of like drawing mm-hmm. from or remixing like some of the more traditional Latinx sounds or music traditions, uh, which I think is cool to represent and also to listen to and to think about like how broad the tastes in our communities and like the mm-hmm. creation of our communities are. Um, she also like, I think knives uses she pronouns. It's also like a reminder to me of like another person that many people don't know her is from the area is Kali Uchis. I had no idea. Yes, Northern Virginia. Jeez. I knew she was from Virginia, but I didn't know that it was like that side of Virginia, you know? Um, I just remember when she like first was like coming up, like, I mean, maybe not first, maybe she'd been working for a long time back then, but like, I remember like, 
2013-ish, mm-hmm. hearing about her like 10-ish years ago and um, knowing that she was from Virginia, but I didn't know it was like DC adjacent Virginia. Yeah, yeah. I love that. High school with her. Um, and so that's cool to see her like blow up. And sometimes when somebody, when you think of somebody as local, like again, I heard of Fuego before I realized he was local, but other people, I feel like you think of them as local-ish and then you don't like necessarily clock their growth. Like, yeah, for sure. And really like how huge, huge, huge they are. Like Kalela is another example of that. Yeah. Yeah. She's from DC. Yeah. Yeah. She was in Brooklyn last week and I was like, had a different plan, unfortunately. So I couldn't go see her, but. She is such a goddess. Yeah. She's also 2013 was like such a vibe for Kalela. I loved her. Right? Yeah. That year for her. And like Kalela was at the girls rock camp, like coaching girls with us. That's that's amazing. Um, but then, like, when someone's part of your community and then they grow in recognition, that's all you want for them. Like, she's a musician. Um, but yes, a lot of artists, like, I feel like when they're hometown heroes, at least if yeah. you're and you're not like on social media all the time and you just see them live, it's like, hard to like realize until so you have that moment. You're like, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This time, like, okay. <laughs> yeah, Kalia, she's had sort of like a meteoric rise. Like, she's been like working hard for like a minute, and then suddenly it's like, oh, she, it's her song on every single TikTok. <laughs> so, with knives, um, I feel like that's been like a, like, I don't spend a lot of as much time as I would like listening to like non fully peak of the dance party dance floor music. Mm-hmm. I do listening to that and researching and downloading and trying to find the backstory but I feel like Knives and Scobar has been on my playlist for a while like um pre-pandemic and um and I also like not this music video but there's like another one for a production that just came out I think in the last year where it's like filmed in a lot of people's different homes and kind of to me also harkens to that like house party vibe that is such a big uh cultural thing in DC as well and I think in the credits it's like a thank you to the people, all the different people whose homes. <laughs> uh, uh, that's very cute. I love a house party. Yeah, right? I yeah, feel I mean, like a, it. Yeah. I feel like yeah. when I see it, that represented, it, like I remember very vividly seeing like the um, this, like Sean Paul video where there are like, it was like a very like immigrant suburban house party situation where they're like you know like the kids were like saying hi to the fam getting a plate of food and then like going down to like the unfinished basement and having like a wild ass party there and then like the dad coming me like don't be so loud don't bang on the furnace you know like it's just like (laughs) i was like wow what peak peak immigrant suburban life totally 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 yeah and i love when that can be like represented like yeah. through, when you're like like snatch yeah up. you got like a kid sleeping on two chairs like totally. you know. oh my god I love it <laughs> somebody asleep in the coats <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely me I was the kid sleeping in the coats <laughs> um, um, the song is actually called Got It Like That that has that's like filmed at home and actually it seems like it's filmed just in one home in Knives Escobar's home but there's a shout out to all the homies that participated in the making of the I film see. so will you tell us a little bit about your dj origin story like how you got into to djing 
I, I think house parties were part of it, but I'm not really let you tell the story. Yeah, definitely house parties. Well, actually, community radio was one right. step. Right. Mm. And before that was making mixtapes for friends and family um, sure. to travel across the world and sometimes like for crushes in high school, then learning to produce like community radio stories um, helped me meet some of the people that ended up being in DJ collectives um, and chosen family like mm-hmm. till now. Um, but I would say like as a DJ, DJ, house parties, definitely. And mm. we have strong motivation to have house parties because we were working with these different community groups that we wanted to raise money right and we want to have parties um but fundraising was always like a big like driving force in the house parties that we would have as well as just creating like queer weirdo young people punky kind of faces that we definitely were not going to be like allowed to do in like a legitimate establishment <laughs> Yeah, like for a lot of reasons. Um, right. So yeah, it came from like very like learning with the equipment that we had. We were also one of our community projects was a project called Radio CPR, which was a community powered radio project for 20 years in DC. And um, the four mothers, as we call them, who founded it, had then passed it on to us to run, which we did for like five years. And so that was like part of our responsibility was like, yeah, raise three grand for the antenna, right? Like this is yeah. all grassroots. There's no funding, and so wow, at a, like a sixty-person station that we were like holding meetings for and pulling people together to do programming and benefiting from this legacy of of like previous organizing, um, but taking it from the radio station booth where you like it's a little bit lower pressure to like a live event where you mm. have living room filled with people was this really beautiful exciting challenge and kind of transformative experience of being like wow this is what it feels like when we run all aspects of the party mm-hmm. like five of us but then really 20 of us together you know for like yeah a goal some kind of shared vision sense of humor expressed it was our it was our 20s we had like a lot of energy <laughs> Um, that was like a place to learn to you can make mistakes and where you definitely had people like at an arm's reach to help if you were not sure and everyone coming kind of knew that the setup was pretty makeshift already like to get the records to not skip you put rolls of toilet paper underneath all four corners of the record player (laughs) there'd be some padding when everyone was jumping that's Um, incredible (laughs) so like yeah it was a really beautiful fun way to learn uh with friends and in like a more low pressure setting but also creating kind of like an atmosphere that we wanted to see at least for that night you know but also learned how parties then could like build trust and connection and like open up experiences that went way beyond that one night that we were together Mm -hmm. Um, yeah I mean I really benefited from I've benefited from the work that y'all have done creating spaces all these years. I don't think I made it to any of the super early house parties, but definitely the back bar when you started having anthology booty party at, or at, I mean, when you started having the backdoor party, I remember it. Um, And so, yeah, like I've, I mean, that's how I know you, but also like so much of my social life has been, um, yeah, like woven by these spaces that y'all have created and continue to create. And like, it's amazing to see your trajectory from like 15 plus years ago at these little house parties. I mean, these very like large house parties, but um, mm-hmm. to then like selling out, you know, the black cat 
on Pride weekend. Like, it's just incredible. So yeah. it's really, and this year actually, it was amazing at Booty Rex. They y'all had this like B-roll video, music video thing that was projected all over. And it like, it was so cool because it was like, y'all just look like rock stars. <laughs> it's like amazing. <laughs> and like the videos, like, like someone was on the Metro and one of that, like, there's just like kind of amazing things happening. And like, it was just very next level. And I was like, this is incredible. I don't know how this happened, but, um, you know, that was our level up from like the, the pure DIY spirit. So like, we're gonna you make- really did level up. Yeah. And y'all looked great in, in all of that video. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Of the Metro for sure. And, um, shout out to Rue and Shady who worked on that. The okay, whole- cool. And Ebony who, Natty Boone, who curated it, um, yeah. worked with them on it. So, yeah, it's really beautiful to see. Um, I will say, I mean, shout out to you as well. Like, definitely cultivating, like, community spaces. People a lot of times look to the performers or organizers, but it really is, like, a thing where when you're three years or ten years in and you're like, oh, like, it's like a hundred of us in here. It's like... 20 of us like really holding this space and a lot of those people are on the dance floor mm-hmm. and it's like this dialogue that we've had going on for a while right. on the or off the dance floor and like that to me that's like how spaces and like experiences are created where mm-hmm. we can really- yeah for sure it's really beautiful all right oh, shall yeah, we move into the next couple of songs they're a totally different vibe shift <laughs> let's talk about we love a vibe of, like, shift. you already <laughs> talked a little bit about like creating like you know punk and queer community so um let's take a listen to mock identity where you live So tell us about this track. This is new to me. I really like the sound of this track. I really like how it represents post-punk undergrounds. Um, that like this is a sound that I think. I mean, a lot of people know that DC is known for punk, but definitely it doesn't really fit again into like that buttoned-up federal job like narrative. Um, and then I think there's these really cool musical ripples that come out of that and there's a lot of creative creativity where punk was not just this thing from like the 90s or the 2000s it's like a spirit punkness diyness um grunginess even that like does live on through some of the music that's being created now um i'll also say that one of the members of this band um adriana lucia Fotis, is um amazing organizer and just artists and been in several different bands. 
Um, I've gotten to perform live with Adriana sometimes. I've gotten to see many shows of different um, bands that Adriana has been in and just really admire the work that Adriana's done as like a example of a member of DC DIY music communities where it's like, we're going to do what we have to do to make this happen. There's not a mm-hmm. lot of for this. So tons of like house shows, you know, where like everything has yeah. to be together just for the love of it. Um, there used to be a warehouse that was used for a lot of DIY jazz and punk and indie shows, post-punk um, experimental music that now is like, was totally redeveloped as part of like a condo arts complex over in mm. North um, but I think we got to see each other many times at those kinds of places. Adriana used to come and work um, with us on the Maracuya parties and was not on the mm. member safety team. Maracuya was this like Latinx party that um, we collaboratively threw from 2011 to 2016. That's um, so great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I've talked about that. I know I've talked about that party on this show. Definitely. Um, I yeah, know. R.I.P. So. R.I.P. Maracuya. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so I think I, I included the song to represent like the sound the band and also this like person who I admire a lot um, who's part of the band um, and it reminds me of like lots of other Latinx folks who I know um, and friends and like wider community who do this type of work um, but I think also like punk and rock and grunginess and post-punk can be very whitewashed and mm. and really like in DC I've known tons of musicians of color especially like black Latinx Asian and sometimes holding multiple of those identities mm-hmm. like um really hustling and holding down the scenes um MJ Regalado is another person who's been in like a million bands plus the downtown boys um who's mm-hmm. got a profile and based here in DC and I'm always like, oh my God, what is your neck? Like, you're so many fans. Uh, <laughs> at places like Rhizome, like that I still can't mm. believe. It's like the post office. Like, how do you still exist? You're I know, a- Rhizome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I did a plant workshop there before the pandemic. <laughs> shout out to like autonomous arts and music. Right. That like, I'm grateful we have a couple like teetering always and holding it down. Yeah, being, yeah. Um, well, and... and- and there's been like a resurgence, I mean, not of let's say art spaces, but there's been a resurgence of like nightlife spaces, right? Especially for queer sort of a assigned female at birth centered spaces, right? Like you have a residency as you are bar, which is like a new space that's really centers the queer community. And like, there's a lot of gay male spaces in DC, like nightlife spaces, because gay men are very big population here and they have a lot of money here, but um, spaces for queer women and, you know, not binary folks. And so um sort of yeah different and I, I appreciate that those I think a lot of us have come up just like making those as pop-up spaces yep. wherever you can like you know in this house or like at a super straight venue but where we can reach a good understanding with the security and the ownership mm-hmm. make sure that we can make that space for the night and hopefully not displace other marginalized people as well in the process right but yeah, I think they're have of like parties and spaces and super happy for the as you are bar that like you said just opened, they celebrated a year mm-hmm. of being open. Um and they definitely I think embody more of that like DIY community centric. Definitely. 
yeah. in a way that, uh, that most nightlife establishments don't even attempt to no. achieve. So, yeah, yeah, it's a very, like I said to you, it was a very wholesome space. Like downstairs is like a cafe. And like when I went to a party, uh, Christy DJ is a party called Cafecito. It's a monthly party. Shout out to Cafecito. There are people like playing board games downstairs. Then you go upstairs and it's like, you know, a Latinx dance party with like drag kings and drag reformers. And um, it just feels very accessible in a way that, yeah, I don't think nightlife, it's not trying to be cool. It's trying to be like a space for everyone, which I think is really politically aligned, at least to me, you know, and like, I think pop-up parties are amazing, but like you have to know somebody to know they're happening. Like you got to have to be in the know to a certain degree, know who to follow, know how to get the flyer back in the day or how to be on the Instagram or whatever. But like, like phase one was the lesbian bar. That was like one of the oldest lesbian bars in the country. It was actually across the street from where as you are bar is now. And like, you would get a different crowd there because there would be the people who didn't know anything about anything, but they could Google like the lesbian bar, you know? And so, yeah. I feel like that's the benefit of having like a brick and mortar space as you don't have to have any connections. You can be brand new to the community, you can be brand new to the area and you can show up and find places to go. And like, um, I think that's important for like the, yeah, the, the reasons community matters beyond like, um, you know, cachet or making money or, you know, like yeah. looking hot or hooking up or whatever. Right. Like the stuff that matters more to community as like a political place somewhere that people go because they need, to find their people, you know? Uh, and I will, I mean, I really shout out, like you said, to Cafecito. It's um, run, organized by, you know, the collective Casa Sin Miedo, which is a trans-led drag artist collective, which is just like, you don't see, um, which they've been around for a year and they mm -hmm. always curate and present themselves like such amazing performances that mm -hmm. are kind of like, uh, pushing, in my opinion, as like a non-drag expert, mm -hmm. uh, as someone who appreciates a drag show and wants to support drag artists, like really pushes the boundaries of like, okay, I'm going to wear like a shark suit and do a tiburon <laughs> and um, the boundaries yeah. of what, uh, maybe like desirability um, or mm -hmm. encompasses more, I guess, like stretches and, uh, and exceeds some of the boundaries that I know as someone with like very amateur understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and gender bending and, you know, all of it, right? All of it. For drag queens, for trans artists who are doing mm -hmm. drag. Um, so it's cool that they have, like, monthly, and I'm really honored that they invite me to to join as their resident DJ. And yeah, it's a great collaboration. Um, but very cool to have, like like you said, like, brick-and-mortar space that you can go to. And there were some out-of-towners who came to Friday's party. Right. We want to start a space like this where we live and right. Aww, yeah. sweet. conversation, you know? Yeah. Um, I think they were from upstate New York. Actually. Right. And like Miss Major came and gave a talk there, <sighs> you know? So it's like a place where the you can elders. have. Okay. Yeah. You can have all of these True. things. I wish I'd known about the Miss Major thing. I was like, that's so awesome. But yeah. Um, but yeah. So having these kinds of things in one space, I think is, is really beautiful. Can I add a tidbit of DC history? Mm hmm. So that. That building, as you know, like that street, it's on 8th Street. It has like a huge LGBTQ history where like right. many of the have served our communities. Like Banana Cafe? Banana <laughs> Cafe. So actually this building that As You Are is in, like mm -hmm. several businesses ago, maybe five in the 1990s, was mm -hmm. a place where this group of Latinx LGBTQ people would hold dance parties. Wow. Called Las Casuelitas, I think. Oh, wow. 
um, and I've gotten to like see some of the photographs that they they show. Wow. And it's just like gives me goosebumps to be like DJing and watching performances there every month and then seeing photographs of people literally like 30, 40 years ago, also in that space creating community and, you know, across experiences, across backgrounds, really centering queer people of color, trans people of color. Wow. It's just kind of. I love yeah, that. Like, time travel connections. So, so really so tender. Same, the same physical space. I love well, that. And shout so out to I the. Like... Oh, go ahead. I love that so much. I feel like the like keeping a record and like evidence of like the queer history of a city is so is so mm-hmm. important. Like it's like we were here. We've always been here. Like you can act like this is brand new. You can act like you know there weren't trans people before. You can act like whatever. But like here's like literal solid evidence that we existed in this exact same place. Well, yes. and that's okay. Shout out to the Latino History Project, right? I'm assuming that's that's mm. where you saw the photos, Christy. Actually, no. This was through no? a connection with um, one of the leaders of the group. She showed me her personal. Amazing. Um, shout okay. out to Letty Gomez of Inmet. Oh, Letty. Yeah, I know Letty. I love that. Okay, well, I know Letty's been involved with the Latino History Project, so she hopefully has. those photos are in their archive too. Um, yeah, and they're at American now and at the DC History Center too. Oh, that's so cool. In different pockets. And she wrote like Queer Brown Voices or edited it with two Yeah. Of well, that's awesome. Great yeah. to check out if you're interested in like DC. Yeah. History. Yeah, and I think another thing people don't know that much about DC is there's like a very long history of trans Latinx immigrants and like a real like strong community for especially trans like feminine spectrum folks um, mm-hmm. in the districts. I think people yes. have come, you know, there's a lot of political reasons why like there's a lot of folks from El Salvador and different parts of Central America. And then, you know, this community is creates a support network for people and then they come and then they have that. So yeah, there's a pretty large immigrant trans community here because of that, which is, um, and that's yeah, it's really beautiful. Over time. Right. It's not new, right? Oh, again, like since the eighties and nineties. And it's also been true. Like one of the other, I feel like dominant things about DC that people always say is like, again, erasing Afro-Latino folks that like black meaning like non-Latinx black mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Latinx meaning non-black Latinx people mm-hmm. are always in tension with each other and like are always placed in like either this tension or like silos when really there's yeah. like tons of history of our communities mm. each other and doing like coalitional shit like Mm. political social and so that's something I'm also like always interested in learning about that I think I've seen um that always needs work but also like I think it's dangerous to erase and again I'm always thinking too is like if I'm going to be talking with teenagers about the history of DC like what are some important things to know and it's like people have worked across lines of yeah of, of you know political interests and that are like deemed by the dominant narrative, you know, mm-hmm. of like, oh, you must care about this. You must care about this. People have worked across lines of race and ethnicity to fight for shit. And also to like create social spaces, including like musical yeah. spaces. One of the songs that I didn't put on here, but wanted to was um, by Chuck Brown and the Latinos. Mm. Uh, many folks do, but then also many folks don't that like the godfather of Bogo, Chuck Brown, 
um, did collaborate with his band, which was called Los Latinos. And like, there was definitely like a cultural exchange there. And at the end of the day, like, Boko is coming from like Pan-African rhythms mm-hmm. and percussion, which mm-hmm. a ton of Latinx music is also like completely of based. Course. Yeah. Um, but like musically, the way people talk about communities and music is like often so separate when it's really like on the ground hasn't been like that. Yeah, for sure. So that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. Like drag queens in the nineties also like collaborating across many of those lines and even across language and like giving each other yeah. something that's like so cool to learn about. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's go to the next song. It is Machetres and this song is Aerolinea. for us we've been meaning forever to do like a latinx punk um, episode and we just haven't gotten it together but i'm glad that you're here to talk about this (laughs) (laughs) um well i would say i have like a personal connection and affinity to this band um kind of like looking up to them as like a pretty visible for me Latinx punk band in the area and being like around, like they still perform sometimes. And the Radio CPR project that I was talking about that a bunch of us participated in and helped lead for a time um, was also like a portal into that. They would play a lot of benefit shows for the radio station. They were really connected to the Latin American Youth Center and like Mm -hmm. represented some of that like music meets Latinx cultural and political institutions. Mm -hmm in the city and then like musical projects come out of that or mm-hmm. people meet each other there and then form a band the most almost every time i've seen them has been in the mount pleasant plaza which is yeah. like awesome <laughs> plaza in dc mm-hmm. that's just like could be one of the centers of like latinx community in dc mm-hmm. tons of like central american and caribbean folk live mm-hmm. around there or spend time around there or grew up there and now live in the suburbs because of displacement which again, I think is different than um, transients, the way mm-hmm. it's described that we talked about before. Um, yeah. 
but like there's a mini stage and there's it's just like a community space for both like semi-permitted and like totally unpermitted like cultural expression mm-hmm. <laughs> but the last you posted time some had, parties there <laughs> yeah I've got that's, that was like a dream come true I was like I love that I party that great. Palm tree. <laughs> it was amazing I love that yeah um the last time I saw them it was such a production I think it was like after lockdowns had ended for COVID and it was the first day of Los Muertos and there was a whole cultural mm. celebration trying to like honor the roots mm-hmm. the tradition in different ways and do some educational work with kids and there are all these live bands and they were one of them and they had all these spotlights and it was like nighttime and super epic and I'm like I don't know how the people in that band like don't age they look exactly the same with like old wild hair and like <laughs> kind of iconic like members that cross a couple generations of um, some of the early punk pioneers that I associate them with in the city and are still like going now. Um, They're also like kind of expressed. I think punk is like a cool expression of like frustration, rage and proposing ideas for solutions in different ways um, as like a music form. And uh, I think they definitely represent that and some of the issues that they speak to in their songs. It's also interesting because Okay, yeah, I think Lalo Gonzalez is the one of the lead musicians in that band. And his dad, Lilo Gonzalez, is like also a musician, lives in Maryland, like DMV area, um, and has been part of the community for like 30, 40 years. Um, and like is a teacher and his songs are all like sweet and like kind of like storytelling singer-songwriter mm-hmm. format which I love. They also tell like a lot of great neighborhood history about like Mount Pleasant and the area. Um, But listening to their music side by side is really sweet too, where you're like, okay, like the generations, the flavors, the modes of expression when they're really like, sometimes have similar things you can discover from the content, but like totally different forms of Latino music. So I love that. That's great. Yeah. Also wanted to shout out um, bands like Company Calls and other, like, I'm really looking forward to your Latino punk edition. (laughs) Maybe we'll invite you back for that. (laughs) I know, we might have to. (laughs) Um, And Rock, because it is like an in real life community and the Rock and Espanol community in general in D.C. goes so hard. Yeah. Like the creative subcultures um, and Company Calls have been someone that I always come back to and I had a hard time. Um, deciding about putting because there were several bands and there's someone who's really dear and community making as well in DC. So I wanted to give beautiful, amazing. Thank you for that. Yes. So your last song for this main part of the episode is a little merengue, which I loved. Um, this song is Primitivo Santos, Mi Merenguito al Paso. Let's take a listen. Mi merenguito al paso. Tampoco me quiero cansar 
porque tengo que trabajar Yo no soy vago ni aragán Pero sí canto con sabor La hembra me gusta apretar Bien suavecito y con sabor Mi merenguito al paso Mi merenguito al paso Um, so this is a Dominican band, an artist that I was that did produce like an album in DC, which yeah, there's the Discogs link. And I guess what I was trying to scratch the surface of with including this track, besides enjoying it, and I would say all the tracks on this list are things that I would probably play in like one given night or try. Um, is like just kind of that like circular migration of like being especially in like the caribbean um but most like caribbean central america mexico and like coming to the east coast and then returning or returning to other especially caribbean mexico new york but then i feel like there are like trickles of that in dc that are maybe less represented in our histories um this is an album that was the, the one that i just dropped you is an album that was produced in dc but what I loved about it too is like a hearkening to DC um, Latino record culture in general. Mm. So I wanted to share just kind of a shout out to Daniel Bueno, who owned a store called Zodiac Records on wow. Columbia Road. And Columbia Road is like another street um, in DC that's like typical, like center of Latinx community and other communities. Um, where there's like little puestos like out on the street selling like everything from like botas to like CDs to like then there was like this store everyone's got a fake ID there I don't know if you're allowed to anything you got um, mango slices <laughs> yeah every, exactly you got coolers out and so this was like people talk about this as like a one of the early early spaces in DC and this is the type of record that would have been sold there. Mm. The DC connection is like tenuous like I know that he performed in DC and produced with this combo like this one vinyl in DC mm -hmm. which but I brought it in because of an era of Latinx music that was represented through like having live performances having spaces like a record store where like people would come congregate. Mm -hmm, Maybe mm -hmm. it's one of those places where you have that like pan-Latinx community formation happening of like people meet each other from other countries. And then also the Latino Festival, which was another huge institution mm, right. in the early 70s in DC and continues today. But it used to be neighborhood based for like 40, 30 years and was like another community formation space through music and dance that music like this would have been played um, and brought people together, both from like across all these different diasporas, but then also um, that's how you see people connecting who are like black, non-Latinx, Asian, from different diasporas across the world and experiencing like what all the variety of what is Latinx culture through different countries and communities kind of like presenting it in public and then like throwing down and partying. So that was why I brought in Community Voice of Global. 
us today. I love that. You're like a DC historian. <laughs> I don't know if you identify that way, but you're my DC historian. <laughs> beautiful i know right yeah well thank you so so much for coming Christy. we've really enjoyed all this is there anything that you didn't get to shout out or mention about work or any projects you want to mention before we close out thank you Uh, (laughs) so i guess i would just shout out um in addition to some of the projects i've been working on for a while a newer project called te quiero mucho traviesa which is with DJ Cybersyn, um, a.k.a. Chileno Queer, yeah. uh, a.k.a. Salem. 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 Yeah. Friend of the pod. <laughs> yeah, a long time homie. Mm-hmm. Uh, which we have fun comparing notes on like national and local politics too. Mm-hmm. But we've um, had a couple of parties so far and it's been really fun. Salem was also a huge participant in and um, contributor to Maracuya. It worked on our safety teams um, mm-hmm. like in the last years when we had them and he's like rock the dance floor. And so we've been playing more with DJing together. Um, he's a musician and then has expanded into DJing and kind of visioning what kinds of little space experiments we want to do. So I would say I would shout out to keep an eye out. If you are in DC listening for our Tecueme Traviesa parties that we're putting together, we're looking to do one. Um, before the year is out and keep creating weird latinx experimental undergrounds fused like fueled by a ton of cariño i love that that's such a cute name i feel like i'm (laughs) constantly texting thick women you know like to my parents Mm -hmm. whatever it's just like Mm -hmm. a cute little it's a good Mm -hmm. name well we'll put we'll make sure to get links from you and put in the show notes all the places people can follow you and your work and your parties and we'll you know put all the things so um make sure people know where to find you and thank you so much christy thank you for teaching us so much about dc i learned a lot i've been here almost 15 years and i learned a lot so clearly i mean i didn't grow up here so it's a different story you know um but yeah thank you so much for for being here yeah it's so it's so dope to hear about like just like really place-based traditions and musical traditions. So thank mm-hmm. you for that. I wanted to also shout out Franks, who is an amazing producer and like cultural organizer, DJ, um, who is part of a couple collectives throwing really cool parties in DC. Also, well, DJ producer Juana, just like in terms of queer techno and techno worlds and the Noxy, Noxima Jackson party and coalition mm. of yummy spaces. And 140 plus as a party that I really appreciate and especially Gabber Bitch, um, 69 as an awesome DJ uh, and kind of visionary of like what weirdo Latinx spaces can also mm, like some, some other folks. I love that. Yeah. I love that right, we're so gonna... much. We got to send this episode to your friends that do the DC historical stuff so that all of this is <laughs> <are> recorded. <laughs> All right, y'all, as always, everything that Christy mentioned is going to be in the show notes. We're going to try to do a really good job to get links for all the projects that she shouted out for us. So make sure to check that out there. 
And make sure you're following us on Instagram and Twitter, question mark. I don't really know. Um, but we are we're still on Instagram for sure. We're still doing <laughs> things over there. They just I just noticed that damn Elon Musk wants me to pay eight dollars a month to message someone on Twitter. And I was like, I can't with this anyway. Um, so yeah, so make sure you're following us on Instagram. We also have a newsletter that you can check out, and all those links are in our show notes at Rileymanian.com. All right, y'all, thank you so much and hasta la próxima. Bye.